for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I cannot tell you the amount of times that people have told me, I can't feel God. And you've probably had conversations with people that have said the same. People will say, it feels like... He's not there. Or, I just don't feel like he loves me. Feelings. Emotions everywhere. I've been around a lot of people over time that become emotionally wrapped up in a feel-good religious experience because it it does tend to feel really good um, at first, only to leave this experience when their feet hit the ground or things start to turn bad. You guys have seen the exact same things. It's been some of you that are in this room right now. You've experienced that as well. You can often measure a person's spiritual maturity by what they do when it no longer feels good. Because I can make you a promise that after a short period of time, it is going to stop feeling good, even if that's just for a little while. So there are a lot of people that believe that emotions are a good indicator of the spiritual life. And I would disagree with that. In fact, I would suggest that emotions, and this should make some of you feel uh, very good today, if your relationship with God or are you feeling that the presence of God is based on the way that you feel? This should make you feel very good today. Uh, because I believe that emotions are actually a horrible indicator of the spiritual life. I think that they're dangerous. I feel that they are deceptive. And they actually reveal very little about the character of God that we talked about a little bit last week. So maybe this would be a good way to say it. For those of you that struggle with emotional ups and downs, is God there? Is God not there? Well, worship was great today, so it felt like God was definitely there. God is present in my life. When I pray, I feel good inside, so so God must be there. But you know what? You don't always feel that way. In fact, for some of you, the majority of the time, you don't feel that way. So you go through these downward spirals and these times where you don't feel God at all. Please get this. Emotions make a horrible compass. You do not want emotions, good or bad, uh, to lead you. Emotions do not tell the truth. What was the song that we just sang? Fear is a what? Right, fear is a liar. Emotions do not tell the truth. And emotions are also, at best, when you feel good or when you're suffering, Emotions are really confusing. So today we're in the second part of a four-week series titled, When in Doubt. 
We want to closely examine the dangers, the questions, but also the benefits of what it feels like to go through seasons of doubt. And I felt the need to speak on this, this topic, on this series, for four weeks, because I felt that there are people uh, that are part of this church, and also people that are maybe just here for this series, or maybe even people that are just here today, that are going through some form of doubt in their life, regardless of what that looks like. For some people that are seasoned believers, sometimes that's doubting your salvation. For other people, it's because of the circumstances that you've been through in your life, and we will get to this next week, uh, you feel that God is not present. You used to have an incredible prayer life in which you sensed the presence of God fall upon the place that you were praying on a regular basis. But now when you pray that way, or now when you're riding down the road in your car, or now when you're laying in bed before you go to bed, or when you're praying with your children, or whatever this looks like, or when you're crying out to God when something really serious is going on, it just simply feels that He's not there. All right, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of James. That's where we're going to be today, James chapter 1. This New Testament letter by James, uh, who we believe to be the brother of Jesus, is often grouped with the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. There's a reason for that. Like Solomon in Proverbs, James takes us on many other topics, if you've, if, if, if many different topics. If you've ever read the book of James, you know, like Proverbs, it skips around all the time. James will be talking about one thing, then he's talking about another thing. Then all of a sudden he's talking about another thing. You can read one chapter in the book of Proverbs and be talking about six or seven different things. I call it scriptural ADD. It's like all over the place, and it, but, but somehow it immediately comes together in this absolutely beautiful way, all right? But we have Scripture going in many different directions in one single chapter, all right? So James opens this letter by suggesting that we should be joyful whenever we go into trials. Yeah, good luck with that. Most of us don't feel that way. You're going through the difficulty of what appears to be a divorce. Uh, You've been diagnosed with some form of mental illness. All of a sudden, you recognize that you've lost your job, And you're not like, praise God, I have the opportunity to go through something difficult. All right, generally we are scared to death. All right, we're terrified whenever we go through something difficult because difficulty hurts. It feels painful. But he is saying that we should go through joy uh, when we go through trials and not be scared or be disappointed. If If we can't be joyful... We probably lack wisdom. And this is the key that he's talking about here at the first of this chapter. So if we lack wisdom, there is a way to look for wisdom or a way to seek wisdom. And this is what we're going to see today. James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. All right, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. This is what it says. This is the New Revised Standard Version. If any of you is lacking wisdom, which is all of us at one point or another, if any of you is lacking wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But you see, there is a criteria or there is a way that you are supposed to ask. He says, but ask in what? Faith. Ask in faith, never doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
So James seems clear that, that if we are seeking wisdom, which we must have and must grow into over time, we must ask with confidence in faith. All right, there's a, there's a correct way to ask for it. There can be an opposite, and the opposite, of course, is doubt. So when we doubt, we are not lacking, or we are not going to receive wisdom. So you may recall uh, what I said about doubt was a little bit different last week. This verse seems to contradict that because we talked about doubt as being possibly a positive thing. Doubt could be a good thing. Doubt could be beneficial for people. And this verse really seems to contradict that. So please pay attention to this right here. This is what we need to understand. When we are wrestling with important questions in our lives and trying to understand and learn the character of God, doubt is often part of this process. All right, There's kind of a tug back and forth. There is a pull back and forth as we are learning faith in a completely new way in a given situation. All right, But when knowing God over a period of time, and we have what we might call a grounded spiritual maturity, like we're moving forward upon a request for something like wisdom, we must move forward in faith to avoid being double-minded. All right, so doubt is part of many of the processes that we have. All right, the season that you're in right now about what you're supposed to do or questions that you have about God, all right, God often invites this doubt. This doubt is really important. But when you know that there is a certain decision that you're supposed to make or a certain, a certain direction that you are supposed to go in your life, James is very clear that we are to ask with confidence in faith, unwavering, so that we don't become double-minded. So when we trust our emotions, which is what we often do, we are like this wave that is mentioned in this passage. And some of you in your lives right now, the reason that you're struggling, and I'm telling you, some of you are tired. And the reason that you're tired is because you exert so much energy into an emotional experience in order to try to understand the divine. And you see, the thing is, whenever you're at a peak performance and you feel like you can really, really trust in God, that feels wonderful. But whenever you start to plummet back down as a result of uncertainty, as a result of fear, as a result of anxiety, as a result of insecurity, it feels like it takes so much effort on your part to make it back up. It's one of the most exhausting things that you can experience. And I have no doubt that there are people in this room that are experiencing that kind of, kind of feeling right now. Uh, James says this in verse 6. One who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So what this is, is suggesting is that there is no stability in your life. You are lacking stability and you sense that you lack that stability in your life. James is telling us that wisdom comes about by practicing steady faith in unsteady times. Wisdom comes about by practicing steady, consistent faith in times that you simply can't understand anything that's going on around you. 
So Ryan, if you can pull up, I want to show you guys an example of what I'm talking about. This is the life cycle and what your life looks like if it's led or driven by emotions as you try to place this into the format of a spiritual life. So you see this line at the beginning increasing. Let's say that this is a conversion experience. Okay, you've accepted Christ. You know that you're a Christian, and you're, in, you're on cloud nine. All of a sudden, it seems that the past has been removed. All of a sudden, it seems that you are free and liberated from all of these problems that you had. You're making new friends. You're on an emotional high, and everything is absolutely wonderful. But then all of a sudden, things seem to just kind of steady off, all right, to where it doesn't exactly feel like so much excitement, but at least it's somewhat normal. All right, and then maybe because of an event at your church, something that's happened in your personal life, maybe you go into a new relationship, all right, it starts to go up just a little bit more. All right, but then all of a sudden, we'll say you get dumped, all right? So you, she breaks up with you, or he breaks up with you, and then all of a sudden there's a decline, and you start to say, did God do that? I thought God was, loved me. I thought God wanted the same things I wanted. And then you start to question, is God really present? Is God really there? Well, your Christian friends gather around you, so maybe you have a period of consistency that lasts another month or two, and things are good. You're just stable. But then you see that big decrease, uh, that big decline, maybe you lost your job. Why would God allow that? God would never allow that. There's no way that God would allow that. And then you see this large incline. All right, maybe you got another job and you were even able to buy your dream home or whatever. You know, you guys create the scenario. But all of a sudden, emotionally, God must be good again because all of a sudden you're on this peak where the dopamine is just, just blasting through your brain and you've got all these wonderful emotions and everything's happy. Things steady up. All right, another incline another decline, and your life looks like this at all times, and you are this wave that is crashing at all times. Now, this is what the life cycle of faith looks like instead, okay? It doesn't change the fact that you're getting dumped. It doesn't change the fact that you're losing jobs. It doesn't change the fact that you're praying, and it doesn't feel like God's there. It doesn't change the fact that all these wonderful things are happening. You're part of a new small group. You're meeting all these wonderful people at church. You're very happy with your uh, kids' ministry leader, whatever it might look like. You, you've met this new person, but there is a continuity or a consistency in which your life is always in the same place because it's being led by faith and not by emotions. The majority of the people in the New Testament church in the 21st century believe they know what I'm talking about, but in reality have no idea what I'm talking about. Because this is the way that they are living their lives. And it's all based on circumstances, sometimes exterior, and sometimes things that are simply going on within us. So what we want to say in those situations is, well, God must be good. Or, God must not love me. No, God's always good. Again, this is a misunderstanding of the character of God. Whenever we find ourselves constantly going through uh, these emotional waves. So for some of you, this faith is like a wave. And, and like some of you, um, uh, you guys in particular, just got back from the beach. One thing I can tell you, hadn't been to the beach in a couple of years, waves still crash. They still crash today. 
They still destroy at the end. And this is the metaphor, this is the example uh, that James is giving us and that we need to understand. Now there's this example that I used to uh, use all the time in Kentucky. So a couple of my friends from Kentucky are, are here today, and if I point Shanae out, she'll kill me later, so I'm not going to do that. All right? But there's this example that I used to always use because you guys know, uh, I believe you know how big coal mining is in eastern Kentucky. All right, coming from East Tennessee, I knew absolutely nothing about coal mining. All right, so I'm, I'm trying to put this analogy together for a sermon several years ago, and I'm talking to this coal miner, and I say, um, or actually it was someone that just worked in the mines. He was not actually a miner. But I said, when you're underground and everything is pitch black, how far in front of you can you actually see? And he said, oh, you can't see anything. He said, it's pitch black. I said, okay, so the headlamp that you wear, this thing that you've got on your head, I said, how far ahead of you can you see with that lamp on? He said, I don't know, about 10 to 15 feet. He said, if you're down in a mine, you can see about 10 to 15 feet in front of you. I said, okay, so what happens if that lamp goes out? And he says, darkness, complete darkness. This is the life of faith. At any given time, if you make the decision to live in this way, and put emotions completely to the side, God gives us about 10 or 15 feet in front of us. 10 or 15 feet that may be visible that we can see. So that job that you're worried about, that relationship that you hope turns into a marriage, those struggles that you're having that may be four or 500 feet into the future, you can't see that. So what your responsibility is as a follower of Jesus is to take that 10 or 15 feet and walk ahead. Knowing that if God gave you 200 feet, you'd screw it up. Every single time. God gives you 500 feet and lets you see three years down the road in your life, you're done. Because you are a broken sinner. Take that 10 or 15 feet You've been faithful. God gives you 10 or 15 feet more. You use that 10 or 15 feet. Now, there'll be times he'll give you 30 feet. But there'll be times he only gives you 12 inches. And what you do is you continue to walk forward knowing that all of this emotional distraction is everywhere. But you make the decision that you are going to continue to walk forward. This becomes a way of life. And here's the thing. We understand very little about what we're actually doing. We understand very little about this actual direction that God is sending us on. But you see, our emotional uh, experience is a horrible compass. So we continue to take that 10 to 15 feet and we follow the light. You see, there is a reason that so many people exit Christianity. And it's because they fail to get to this place of maturity in which they recognize that feelings cannot be trusted. Would you agree? How many times have you been in an experience where you've seen somebody come to know Christ, or you've seen somebody come back to church, and it feels absolutely wonderful? But as soon as that, they experience that first bump in the road, as soon as their church goes through its first trial in a very long time, they're gone. 
As soon as they go through an experience that is extremely difficult in their family life, they're ready to give up. As soon as they feel that God did not meet their agenda the way that they felt that it should be, they are done. You see, they've not used their 10 to 15 feet. Instead, they turn the light off and they just head it out in the darkness of night. Emotions absolutely everywhere. Take that 10 to 15 feet and trust it. Also notice that being led by emotion is the equivalent of being double-minded and unstable. So if you are led by emotions in your spiritual life, and everything is about how good God can make you feel, then scripturally you would be considered unstable. James says this in verse 8, For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It is a life that is limited. So to be double-minded, what this actually means is to be double-souled. All right, It's like you're trying to practice loyalty to two things, complete loyalty at the same time. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that we can't serve two masters. All right, Can you be a, a Democrat and a Republican at the same time? No, you can't. You can be moderate, you can be somewhere in the middle, but you can't be a card-carrying Republican and a card-carrying... because there is too much conflict between the two viewpoints. All right? So how does this apply to emotional doubt? How can we see this as it applies to emotional doubt? If I'm led by emotions... The influence that wins the emotional battle in my life will be the primary dominator of my life. I'm going to say this again, and then I'm going to give you some examples. If I'm led by emotions, as many people are, the influence that wins the battle in my life will be the primary dominator of these two competing double-minded things in my life. Example, I can't always feel God. All right, that's just a fact. I can't. I'm a pastor. I can admit that. I can't always feel God. But I can always feel the gravitation back toward a bad relationship choice. Like I can feel that short term comfort of going back into a bad relationship. And a lot of times, that feels better than the way God is going to feel. I can't always feel God, but I can always feel the comfort of stuff. I can always feel the comfort of alcohol abuse. I can always feel the comfort of a good Netflix binge. Like, these are things that I can feel when I can't feel God. I can't always feel God, but I can always feel the influence of people that are drawing me away from God. Please hear this today. If an emotional shelter is what you need, then God is something you will never have. If emotional stability and having yourself in a place of comfort at all times, is something that you require for your life. God is something you will never have. 
Because if I am to be completely honest and pour it all out, as I often try to do, I would say, keeping in mind I've been a pastor for over five years, 75% of the time or more, I don't feel God. 75% of the time or more, I am in a dark coal mine, metaphorically, with 10 to 15 feet of light, and I'm trusting him with everything that I have. And I would love to tell you about all of the wonderful emotions that I have in my relationship with God and how fired up that I get all of the time. And that everything is wonderful all of the time. And every single time I go through an experience, I deeply internally feel God. Sometimes I do. And when I do, it's amazing. But the majority of my life is 10 to 15 feet of light directly in front of me, knowing that if I will indeed step out and take those steps, that God's going to provide 10 or 15 more feet of light for my family. For the church that I'm at right now. For the relationships that I care about. For the direction that I need to be led in my life. Give me 10 to 15 feet over an emotional experience any day of the week. You see, faith is not a feeling. And to a lot of people it is. Faith is not a feeling. It is a rooted and relentless choice that we make every single day. Of our lives. Sometimes you feel a lot of uncertainty. Sometimes you feel insecurity. Sometimes you feel fear. But you must be rooted. I'd like to provide you guys with a, a mantra today that I think is going to be helpful based on some things that we've already talked about. Something that you can apply in your life. And I'm telling you that if you apply this in your life, if you use it, now you're going to experience some dark nights of the soul. There's no question about that. But if you can use this, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. All right, so we said first, emotions make a horrible compass. All right, emotions make a horrible compass. Faith is a perfect compass. Take your 10 to 15 feet of light and walk every single day. Because the beauty, because you can turn around with that lamp and you can look and see how God has worked things out the prior 10 to 15 feet. And you continue to walk forward. The next thing that we said is that emotions do not tell the truth. What did we talk about last week with Gideon? God's promises tell the truth. All right? Emotions, you're going to be everywhere. Some of you know that. 
grounded, rooted, relentless choice every single day of your life. God's promises tell the truth. Emotions are confusing at, at best, all right? At absolute best. And if you are trying to base a relationship with God on the way that you feel, you are going to be so messed up. Because a lot of the time, what you express and experience as absolutely wonderful things will not even be God. It's just the euphoria that you experience within. And then a lot of times when you're going through absolute misery, God is the most present. Emotions are confusing. But you want to know something? Gospel truth is illuminating. It gives you that 10 to 15 feet. It gives you that light that you need. So listen, if you're a person that has to control everything, this 10 to 15 feet is going to drive you crazy. Because you're going to demand every day of God, God, I need 100 feet. God, I need at least 50 feet. You know what God does to those people? To break them? He gives them about 2 or 3 inches. He gives them a flickering lamp so they really have to hold on. For people to have uh, the need for so much control. So we can say this for certain, all right? This is what we can say for certain today. We need direction. We need truth. And we need illumination. Think, being able to see with the headlight, the, he the headlamp. We need direction. We need truth. And we need illumination. All right, so one, uh, a man once asked uh, Mother Teresa. Uh, he approached Mother Teresa, and this was the big moment in his life and, and, and of his faith journey to ask some big questions all right, to one of his heroes. All right, so he's in Calcutta, and he's talking to Mother Teresa, and he told her, I have some important decisions that I have to make in my life very soon. And these decisions that I'm making have the ability to go several different directions. So what I would like to do, Mother Teresa, if you will, is I would like for you to pray for me that I have clarity. All right? Wouldn't we love clarity? And she says, you know what? I'm not going to pray that you receive clarity. He's like, why did I come all the way to India? All right, I'm not going to pray that you receive clarity. I'm going to pray that you receive trust. Because she said, in my life, I have rarely ever experienced clarity. So in her doubt, in her struggles, trying to see the journey ahead, trying to see where she is supposed to go, the only thing that you need is trust. Now listen, I recognize that some of us are a little bit more emotional than others. And some of us, the way that we are impacted in our faith life, it takes much more of a presence than it does for other people. But the truth is, let's be honest, there, there are moments that every single one of us have experienced when we've tried to pray, and it's felt like God is a zillion miles away when he's actually beating through our heart in that very moment. There are moments that I've sat in a car questioning if, questioning if I need to be in ministry, questioning a lot of my own personal decisions. So much fear, so much anxiety, so much concern 
about going forward. But knowing and choosing to believe that God is literally in the car seat beside me. Say, you're not leading this thing. I'm leading you. The question is, what are you doing with that 10 to 15 feet of light that you have in front of you? If you need more, life's going to be hard. So here we go again. Emotions make a horrible compass. Faith is a perfect compass. All right? Emotions do not tell the truth. God's promises are truth every single time. Emotions are confusing at best. Truth is illuminating. The question for you, despite all of the unsettled feelings that you have, are you willing to really step out with that 10 to 15 feet and not simply try it but make it a way of life. You see, this is how pilgrims live. This is how we live. We don't know what's going on. We don't know who our next president's going to be. We don't know what the economy is going to look like. We don't know what this virus is going to do to our country and other countries. We don't know how much longer protesting and a lot of the issues that are going on with racial reconciliation are going to continue. What do you know? 10 to 15 feet at all times. And I can promise you that through those 10 to 15 feet, your emotions are going to be everywhere. But if you'll be steady, you're going to get 10 to 15 more feet. So what are three uh, positive affirmations from this mantra? Faith. Truth. Trust, nothing else. Faith, truth, trust. So ask yourself this question, closing. What does faith, truth, and trust have to do with fear? What does faith, truth, and trust have to do with loneliness, anxiety, Numbness, insecurity, racing thoughts, pressure, discouragement. What do faith, truth, and trust have to do with these things? Absolutely nothing. You don't need clarity, you don't need all the answers. You need 10 to 15 feet. You need the light. You need trust. Not clarity. Trust. If all heads bowed uh, this morning and all eyes closed, I'm sure there are some individuals that are in here and, and for whatever reason, maybe it's, this, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's losing your job. Maybe it's uh, having close friends and family members uh, with this horrible virus. Maybe it's that you're really missing someone in your life. Maybe it's that you are in a deeply desperate place of loneliness. 
Maybe you're going through an illness that no one else even knows about yet. Maybe you're asking questions about the direction in your life. Maybe some of the bones and the haunts of your past are coming back up. And emotionally, you are all over the place. Or you know what? Maybe that's just your personality. Maybe things are okay. But you go from happy to sad to somewhere in the middle to discouraged to proud to joyful. And you don't know what's up and down. You don't know God from any of this. Maybe you fall somewhere on that spectrum. And maybe that because you're going through this, the doubt is eating you alive. And if that's you and you're in here this morning, with no one looking around, would you simply lift your hand so that we can pray for you? Thank you so much for your honesty, guys. Anyone else this morning? Thank you. I see you guys over on my right, your left. Thank you so much. What I want to do this morning is I want to lift you guys up in prayer because my belief is that, that we could pray about this and we could leave and we could go eat lunch or shackles could be removed. And the Holy Spirit, as we sung about earlier in the song, the Spirit could fall on this place and you could walk out of this place free. You see, I still believe in Pentecost. I still believe in the fire of the Holy Spirit falling upon His people. And the desire for, of God in your life is complete, unhinged, unfettered freedom as a believer. We can pray. We can release these chains today. And we can worship. If you do fall into that category, something I want to ask you to do, if you're really struggling, please put this on one of those connect cards before you leave so that we can pray for you. Drop it in the bucket. We want to pray for you. Father, we come to you today thanking you so much for that 10 to 15 feet. Thank you so much for that light that you provide when our emotions lie to us over and over again. Father, there is always a competition for our attention. There is always the ability to be a double-minded person or double-souled person in which we are competing with, with two gigantic views. The way of the Spirit and the way of the flesh. Father, may we lift you up on this day and release and drop our chains so that we can develop deep, authentic, rooted people of powerful faith. And we're going to pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.